And I'm Molly of Mitchell Sanchez. We're here to take birth control and talk about The Handmaid's Tale. And we're all out of birth control. Thanks, Trump. This is read all over your handy Handmaid's Tale recap. Blessed be the fruit. We are almost out of the Testaments as well. This is our final section on the Testaments. Mm -hmm. Boy, and this has been a long day. Thanks for sticking with me, Kelly. The longest day of all. Yeah. Um, You know that movie, The Longest Day? This is longer than that. (laughs) Um, So we're going to kick it off. Oh, wait. Well, we're going to kick it off with... As promised, fast and thick. Um, which <laughs> and is then page 343. And it goes through the end of the book. And before we do that, Molly has some housekeeping. Great. So if you've donated to us on Venmo.com, we are going to shout you out. That's Venmo.com slash right all over. Um, <clears throat> uh, all right, here we go. Shout out to Mary Galvan, longtime fan, and I, Galvant, imagine my life without you. Miranda Hester, another longtime listener and fan. Love you, Miranda. Jill Jones, Jill Jones, what are you doing to me? You are breaking my heart because I love you so much. Heather Johnston, we met in person. Love you, Heather. Uh, Shannon Thomas, another, Shannon Thomas donated a while ago too. Thank you so much, Shannon Thomas. Uh, you, I would like to take you to Chili's. Jamie Mansfeld. Oh, Jamie, I want to, I just think you're the best. Uh, Catherine Judah, Judah. Awesome. (laughs) You're great. Jennifer Trice, the lady's so nice. They named her Trice. Mandy Helton. Oh, I would go to Helton and back for you, Mandy. Brittany Lynn, love that name. Jackie Winfrey, boy, I feel like I win something free every day that you're my friend. Leslie Bosnack, another returning donator. Thank you so much, Leslie. You're the peach on my cobbler. Jessica Lovering, another repeat donator. Thank you so much, Jessica Lovering. You're so nice. Vanessa De Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, you make me feel like I've been truly saved. And last but not least, Colette Marquart. Oh, Colette, you have a beautiful name, a beautiful soul, and I think you're fantastic. Woo! Let's wrap up the testaments. Y'all. Okay. All right. So we start with fast and thick. This is back to the Arjua Hall holograph. Yep. Um, we get a tiny bit of world building here where she talks about uh, something called the War of Manhattan, which don't know what that was. Uh, well, it was presumably during the war. Oh, where do you think it took place? Uh, I don't know. Um, maybe like Manhattan Beach on the West Coast. I, that must be. Yeah. That I, must think, be it. I think that makes the most sense. Hometown of Rachel Bloom. Uh, <laughs> that was what it was about. So Aunt Vidalia comes up again because you can't keep a snitch down. And she's like, hey, kind of weird. Uh, I think those three girls are acting real suspicious. And uh, Lydia's like, well, I don't know what you mean. She's like, like who? Who? Which girls? Which girls? I don't see any girls. So many girls around. Don't really know. <laughs> Look over there. <laughs> <laughs> and the, she's really like, that Jade girl is not chill at all. Something bad is happening. And Aunt Lady is like, no, no, no. Look away, dear. And so Aunt Vidalia <laughs> says, feeling like I think she knows if she succeeds, this will be her thing to take down Aunt Lydia. She goes, we'll see. But if she defects, kindly remember that I warned you. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. She well, about to get killed. She also, and I'm honestly kind of surprised they don't do this more often, but when they're talking about Agnes Jemima 
Aunt Vidala brings up her mother. She says, but as we know, mm. Aunt Victoria's original mother is a particularly flagrant case. Hey. Not only did she disregard her duty, abandon her appointed post, and defy those set in divine authority over her, but she was the prime mover in the stealing of baby Nicole from Gilead. Oof. And so I just feel like there probably is a lot of this that goes on that we don't see. We're like, well, remember who so-and-so's mom was and sort yeah. of that's a very um old testament idea of just sort of like the immutability of like flaws in your family and you know the sins of parents being passed on to their yeah. children and yeah. so clearly that kind of thinking is still alive and well in gilead mm-hmm. so then the next person to come into the office is aunt helena and Aunt it's Helena's also, also suspicious. Sorry, I wrote this down. The ants see Offred as action Offred. Oh, they only see her as action Offred. Granted, I think that has to do with certain choices that have been made, but we know a very different person than they know because all they see are her like infractions and her rebellion, which are now we know from this book greater than potentially they were in the original Handmaid's Tale. Right. But it's just like, oh, like they don't know any of the like sort of like malaise and despair. Like they just, they have a very one dimensional view of what it must be like to be a handmaid. Right. So I think that to shade in sort of Offred's story from what we learned from Testaments, it sounds like it's saying she got away Mm -hmm. at the end of Handmaid's Tale and gave birth. Because remember in the Handmaid's Tale... Yeah, so in The Handmaid's Tale, she's pregnant as she's escaping Gilead. Mm-hmm. So are we supposed to believe that she gave birth to Nicole? That doesn't, that's not no, right. No, they say it's that It's just she like gave, in the show. She, Yeah, they're basically saying that she, like, well, we don't know where she went in the van, fundamentally. Right. Like, we know that she gave birth to Nicole while still in Gilead. Right. And then smuggled her out of Gilead. Um, so it might have happened like in the show. It might have happened sh- like in the show. It might not have happened. Yeah. The other thing that kind of disappoints me about all this is that I loved the ambiguity of whether or not she was actually yeah. pregnant. Um, oh, yeah. Because we only get her telling Nick that she thinks she's pregnant. In the book. In the book. Mm-hmm. We don't get any, like, there's no pregnancy test. There's yep. no doctor's visit. She's just like, I think I'm pregnant. And I mean, you know, I would trust her assessment. You know, she's been pregnant before, mm-hmm. but it could also easily be kind of like wishful thinking yeah. and wanting for something in her situation to change. Yeah. So, I mean, again, obviously we're coming down on the side of, yep, definitely pregnant and yeah. then did all this other stuff. But right. So I miss the ambiguity of the first book. I think that's what I what makes me so upset about the Testaments is that I think there was something lovely about that ambiguity, like you're saying. And I, I don't like what she says in the afterward where she's like, I wrote this as the answer to those questions. Cause I feel like it's enough to tell people like, you want to know what happens next? Tough. No, or live in that space. Or what do you think happened? Yeah. Like, cause she's never named June. Yeah. That's something that's a total fan creation. Mm-hmm. So it's like we as a fan community have fun with that ambiguity. But I think maybe the culture of fandom has changed because we get so much content. And people want answers. Yeah. Um, But I'm like, you're, you know, you're old Maggie Axe. You don't have to do what we say. I know. Um, I know. I mean, unless this is her, you know, meta commentary on like, careful what you wish for. (laughs) But I mean, I never, I never wanted more than she gave us in that book. Yeah, Ever neither. at any point, yeah, from the very first time I read it, yeah, I never wanted that door to be definitively closed. 
Yeah, I think Handmaid's Tale is such a perfect book. And, and I mean, that has, you know, that's been our criticism of the show is like, why on earth mm-hmm. would you continue mm-hmm. to tell, you know, you talk about gilding the lily, like <laughs> gilding the lily. Oh, Jesus. And lily stands for fertility. Oh, my God. I deserve this. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I agree. I think I think more and more I appreciate things that are short and tight instead of long and thick. No, yes, because especially because there is so much content now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's very little like mega fiction that I think succeeds. Like mm-hmm. I do like the book Infinite Jest, but it is far from perfect and it absolutely could have been shorter. But it's just like economize. There's no reason to put all of this down if it's not useful. Yeah, and sometimes things end when they're supposed to and they don't have to just keep going because they're good yeah exactly remember that all right so there is gosh just like uh fucking people keep coming into her office uh oh there's been a raid on the arjual hall print shop by judd because they think uh oh yeah that's where they think the the micro dots are coming mm -hmm. from and it's so interesting because it's like aunt lydia's been running these scams Mm-hmm. for years and like now's the time when all of a sudden everybody's curious yeah so this is arguably her sloppiest scam <laughs> yeah it's her sloppiest scam <laughs> it's the riskiest yeah. scam mm-hmm. it has the highest probability of her getting exposed mm-hmm. but we have you know aunt helena's coming and i do love increasingly her feet are a bother to her as this callback to like oh she used to wear those manola bonnets <laughs> um and as a callback into she used to torture women's yeah. feet you know, so she's she's still playing all of the ants off of each other as best as she can. And then they talk about uh, Shunamite might have a quote unquote relapse. Yeah. At the the common bomb. How can he have been so obvious as to employ rat poison? Ugh. Even in small quantities, it is so easily detectable. Um, and we do get, I wish she didn't do this. Mm-hmm. Dislikable though Shunamite may have been as a schoolgirl, I have no wish to have her join Judd's Bluebeard's Chamber ah! of Defunct Brides. Like, we get it, Margaret. She does this a lot in this book where she kind of alludes to something and it feels like a treat when you first get it because you're like, ooh, mm-hmm. I, I discovered something. And then she makes it, uh, you know, she makes it explicit. Yeah, and she's I, like, bring she, the hammer down. She doesn't do this in other books. No, it makes me so mad. I just think she rushed through this. I think her entire team rushed through this because they wanted it to coincide with the TV show. Yeah. They wanted to have for whatever fucking reason, more material for the show. Yeah. Like, to an extent, this is worse than a lot of the plot lines on the show we didn't like. Yeah. And then they have this other, like, uh uh-oh, introduce another ticking clock to this uh, Judd wants to marry baby Nicole. Ugh. 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 Typical Judd. Typical Judd. All right. Heartstopper. Ooh. Yes. Action Jade. Action, Action Nicole. J- yeah. What are we calling you? Action Nicole, let's say. Okay. Um. So this is 369A. So this is uh, Jemima, Agnes Jemima. Uh, they're sort of making their plot to... Oh, and so the, the plot thickens because they're like, fuck, we have to explain where Nicole went to... Um, Nicole, pretend you eloped. Yeah. So... The plan and is Nicole says when she finds out that Commander Judd wants to marry her, triple shit, uh, which I will be adopting. Shit of a god, triple <laughs> shit. 
A lot of good shit in here. The plan is to make it look like Becca and Agnes, Jemima. Oh, sorry. Sorry. To look like Becca and Jemima are going on their Pearl Girl mission Mm -hmm. and Jade ran off with the plumber. Yes. That's the plan. That's the plan. But what's actually going to happen is Becca's going to go off in one direction and then Jade and uh, Aunt Victoria, Jemima, there's too many names, guys, uh, uh, are going to go off. Yeah, I mean, at least in a Russian novel, the names kind of, like, have some kind of relationship (laughs) with each other. The worst was fucking Wuthering Heights when there are several people with the exact same name. (laughs) Kathy, Hinton, uh, Hargrave? Yeah. (laughs) So many. (laughs) Wow, I'm really Wuthering. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So they're getting ready to go. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. We missed Aunt Wendy. That was my favorite aunt. I did miss that. That's hilarious. I'd like to be Aunt Spicy Chicken Sandwich. (laughs) You know what? Still funny. Four episodes in, we're still having a ball. And I say that as Aunt Subway. Um, (laughs) Aunt $5 foot long. Aunt Quiznos. I would be. Wait a minute. Aunt Chipotle. I think it's the best I take back all former aunt names. I am now Aunt Chipotle. You will address me as such. So we also find out on page 355. uh, The password. The passwords are May Day and June Moon. And I'm sorry. uh, I just died and came back to life because Margaret Atwood is like, remember May Day? june moon it's not her name but i know that you call her june on the tv show uh, it's a joke you know what you know what the moon means mm-hmm. uh, fertility yep especially the june moon which some people call the mead moon which is like it's the fullest moon you can have interesting I, it also reminds me of that old hannah Barbera cartoon that's like i want to sing about the moon and the june and the spring <laughs> oh my god uh, <laughs> And Becca, oh God, Becca. Poor Becca. Poor Becca. Becca so, knows she's dying at this point, yeah? I don't know. Like, Becca Becca knows that she's supposed to hide herself and not be found under any Boy. circumstances. So they might be reunited with her mother. And when Becca finds this out, she is happy, but she's also sad because her yeah. mother was also a handmaid. Mm-hmm. Just there's so many ways in which just Becca's life is this pale imitation of Agnes Jemima's oh, life. Yeah. And Agnes Jemima's life is a pale shadow of what even Daisy's life was. Yeah. Becca um, is the Neville of this book. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so Becca comes up with this plan of like, where am I going to hide? Oh, I'm going to hide in this sister in the place where this other lady died. Doesn't she know about foreshadowing? I know this. I think this is Becca's deciding to be a martyr. Okay. That makes sense because she does say that she'll let out all the water first, but I'm like, and she's like, I'll run it through the doorway, see bathtub. But that doesn't make any sense. Like, don't you know how much water is in a motherfucking sister? Yeah, too much. It's not like a nice little bath. Yeah. Like, it's a whole thing. So I think this is her choosing that, um, which sucks. Then the next day, they are walking out and they pass the Aunt Lydia statue. And who's there? Snitch, Aunt Vidalia. She's like, but what? What are you? Get get out of there. And then they just punch her in the face. Well, and it's good that Jade, Nicole, 
does not compute larry uh, we're just calling her larry now she kept doing all of her workouts mm-hmm. that she learned from garth because he was just like you never know because he was telling her like how to gouge people's eyes out mm-hmm. urban bloodshed limitation mm-hmm. uh, because as zeb says in year of the flood the blood you should most be the bloodshed you should most be seeking to limit is your own <laughs> um <laughs> He really says that. Man, that guy in Year of the Flood is a babe. I have never been attracted to him. I'm into it. Look, that's cool. Okay. I'm a real Crake fangirl. Of so. course you are. Oof. If there's a weird char- male character in a book, Kelly's like, beep, 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 yeah. and that peep is coming from her vagina. <laughs> 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 like, oh, you have a plan for destroying and repopulating the world, eh? Uh, excuse me, I have to go change my panties. <laughs> um, okay, so so they. This is very funny. So, and the other thing to bear in mind is like neither Aunt Victoria nor Aunt Immortelle are supposed to be qualified for their Pearl Girl assignments. Yeah, they're yet. going early. So the fact that any of this is happening, and it's so weird i wonder actually i wonder if this was purposeful because aunt lydia times this and she's like oh by the way aunt fidella might be hanging out there oh it's of course on purpose listen i'm sorry i read this like this was the part i forget at what point like i i was pretty judicious with how quickly i read this because i wanted to savor it uh what little there was to be savored and um but then i got to a certain point and i just like plowed through it yeah I, I feel that, but I do think I like the detail of she takes an orange from the statue and eats it. They're so refreshing. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, so they're into this this car that is taking them through the checkpoints. Into the woods. They eat another salad-based sandwich. <laughs> no, it's fake Gilead cheese. Yeah. Um, Unless you think that's a salad. Cheese is not a salad? Okay. Oh, oh boy. I, I've been doing it wrong. Um <laughs> They get to New Hampshire, to a bus station. They get on this bus. It sucks because long distance buses suck. Um, I mean, this whole thing sucks. Yeah. Every every step of this trip, I'm like, I would be out. I would be done. <laughs> I'd be like, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm going to go die in this cistern. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I can't. I simply can't. <laughs> well, the thing I, I get struck when I hear about like the aunts and, and even Agnes Jemima's life as a young girl is like, how boring everything is. No, but it is all about, and that is why Agnes Jemima fascinates me is because it's like her inner life is so limited in scope and mm-hmm. yet... She is so capable of just Mm -hmm. dealing with everything. Yeah. Like even like when, you know, like I said before, when she's like, I was seething with rage. And I'm like, I feel like your seethe is like a negative one on the Kelly Anakin scale of seething. You don't know from seething, girl. I'm like, I don't think you understand what that word means. But it's just like she, you know, she is implacable. Mm -hmm. And I love that about her. She, I think this is sort of the opposite of that recognizing in your enemy what you recognize in yourself Ah. i recognize in agnes jemima all of the things that i wish i had that's really cool yeah that's awesome so that's why i've decided to become an ant nice uh they get dropped off at this place that looks to be like a real abandoned sort of diner they go in there's (gasps) mention of crackies crackies (laughs) um crackies Inside the store smell like burnt toast and feet. Uh. 
That's how it smelled in here before you arrived. <laughs> so then they do the whole exchanging of the password thing. It's warm for a May day. It's not May. Of course not. My mistake. There's a June moon. And I do love, and I, I believe I said this the last time that we read a Margaret Atwood book, but she always uses the Canadian washroom, never the American bathroom. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure she's like, it's inaccurate. You don't take a bath in the washroom. That's why it's called the washroom. <laughs> so then they go into the bathroom and they get to change into civilian clothes. And it's uh, Agnes Jemima's first time in pants. It's Agnes Jemima's first time in pants and something catches on the little O where the micro dot has been placed. And I knew this was extremely bad news. I don't understand entirely. Like, I don't know. I'm like, couldn't they have put a bandage or something on there? Like, it's still a new tattoo. I don't know. Anyway, I just out. As somebody who's had a tattoo, anything catching on your fresh tattoo as it's still scabbing, like... It really sucks. And yeah. also, you have a piece of, like, yeah. junk in there. <laughs> yeah. Like, and there's, like, it is getting more and more infected, Exactly. Too. It hasn't started yet. This was the first time where I was like, oh, this shit is going to go south real quick. Mm-hmm. Ironic, because they are traveling north. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a delight. Then they talk about... This is from ooh, Agnes ooh, Jemima's oh, perspective. Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry. Um, back on page 363, I mentioned in an earlier episode about the connection between the ants in Gilead and the Bene Gesserit from Dune. Oh, neat. And the Bene Gesserit from Dune have their litany against fear, um, which basically I don't have memorized yet. And I apologize, (laughs) Lady Jessica. Dune Um, Sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, oh, Drade, I have betrayed you. (laughs) Anyway, but they have something similar for the ants. She who cannot control herself cannot control the path to duty Mm. do not fight the waves of anger use the anger as your fuel inhale exhale sidestep circumvent deflect it's a very different thing because the bene gesserit one is about i will face my fear and in the end the fear will be gone and only i will remain and it's much more ego driven this is very um like super ego driven where it's like hey don't do anything it's very concealed don't feel don't let them know exactly yeah yeah all right now we get to an agnes jemima chapter um she's wearing her civilian clothes and she's really having a hard time doing something so anti-gilead as changing your clothes yeah because she's like these are men's clothes and nicole is like dude look at these like little silver cupids on your jeans. <laughs> they're obviously for girls but you know that's not how agnes jemima was raised yep yep uh, so nice to Suck know. Suck it up. It means be brave. <laughs> oh, I love that. I really like that. We are that. going to a place where she will understand the language, I thought, and I will not. Mm. This is where I liked the end of the book. Everybody is saying that. I loved the end of the book. I don't know how I feel about Aunt Lydia's journey. The whole thing could have been 150 to 250 pages <laughs> shorter, but I'm not sorry about where we end up, and I'm not sorry about my favorite line, which we're coming up on. I like the ending of the book. It felt satisfying to I me. felt very satisfied, and it made me cry really hard. Oh, man. I don't know why I didn't cry. I think I was crying at a bunch of different things this week that I just like the book Listen, didn't make me cry. Sometimes you, you know, you got to recharge. Yeah. All right. So the next chapter is we're going rapid fire between Agnes and Nicole. So they're in another car. They're in the back in like the trunk and and the dude um oh i'm sorry we're in a different different car i just clocked it the guy driving this truck was um drinking alcohol while he was driving (laughs) 
And then um, Agnes is dreaming of Becca. She was there beside me in the front of the truck. I couldn't see her, though. I knew she was there. I said to her in the dream, so you came with us after all. I'm so happy. But she didn't answer. I love that so much. I think that it was her. It's also very Mary Whitney from Alias It's extremely Grace. Mary Whitney, and Margaret Atwood very much believes in ghosts. I know. You know what I mean? Yes. And it's just like, you know, fucking who am I? I don't know anything. Yeah. I think it's safer to believe in ghosts than to not believe in ghosts. Good You've heard to, it here first. Good to know. Ghosts, don't bother me. I believe in you. <laughs> ghosts, I believe in you. Hey, ghosts. <laughs> Leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> I don't like uh, spooky things. <laughs> I'm not a spooky guy. <laughs> All right. This next chapter. Listen, uh, it's a testament to my personal growth that I have not done anything spooky. I know. You can really chart your growth in our friendship through this podcast. <laughs> and the fact that I quit doing scary ghost you noises. You really stopped scaring me after a while, which I cannot tell well, you how much I appreciate. only because you demanded that I stop scaring you. <laughs> I would have kept going. <laughs> it's important to tell people how they can love you better. And one of the things for me is like, do not scare me ever. I don't want I it. I will not pretend to be the Baba Duck right now. Please. <laughs> Um. All right. So they're in another car. They get out of it, and oh, they're at the Penobscot River. The what? The Penobscot oh, River. Jesus leads into the ocean, baby. Uh oh. They see a boat called the Nellie J. Banks. Now, the Nellie J. Banks is a famous rum runner. Yes, I did look in that Nova up. Scotia. I did not write it down, but I looked it. Yeah, and you know what else is delicious? A rum runner the cocktail. Uh, uh, you know what else is delicious? Putting rum in your coffee. <laughs> rum a dum dum. Three rums and a dum. So yeah, so this is based on a real ship that was a, a rum runner in the 1900s. Interesting. Another Aunt Lydia chapter called Wall. Ow. Hmm. Is there any section here called Night? Out of curiosity. <laughs> You know I what? can't believe I didn't even look. I didn't see one. That seems uncharacteristic. She used it up. She had a... Look, her, I, her editor was like, Maggie, you used all of your allotted nights on the original. You can't use it anymore. You're done. But sometimes it's night. I I know that, but we can't... It's dark out. Okay, listen. I'll, I'm not going to budge on this one, but you can name a commander Kyle Kyle. June Moon. Okay. <laughs> um, now she's just babbling. So the walls are closing in on Aunt Lydia... Aunt Vidalia is in the hospital in a coma. Uh-oh. Uh, something going to happen. Yeah, I was really hoping she would die. Um, well, I thought she was going to Caldrogo her. Oh, also, I don't think we've commented on Aunt Clover. Nah. Uh, presumably of the milk? Yeah, I think so. Um, the hot milk. <laughs> hot milk! Oh, oh this is so fun. Um, <laughs> okay. She's in intensive care. Aunt Lydia pockets some morphine. They uh, Jade wrote her goodbye letter that she had run off with Garth. Aha. Uh-huh. I love it. It's like me naming my Sims after boys I had crushes on. Yeah. I'm um, sorry. Who else were you supposed to name them after? Uh, I also I had understand. one family that had a guy named Voldemort. <laughs> so not really. Um so yeah, so there, she's like, oh, interesting. She ran away. Well, we better go catch her. Ugh. And I enjoy Aunt Helena is just such a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, perhaps she needs a hot water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby, no. <laughs> now, there is... Okay, so they say there was a complaint about a lack of bath water this morning from doorway A. Mm-hmm. So 
I think it's probable that Becca maybe tried her plan, but oh. she wasn't very good at draining the cistern. Hmm. Interesting. Um, to be, be fair, I am not a plumber. Yeah. I don't know how a cistern works. I definitely don't so know how a cistern works. So if you know how a cistern works, uh, post it in the comments about this episode. Uh, could this cockamamie plan ever have succeeded? <laughs> uh, if you're a cisternologist, please tell us. Um, okay. So now 369B, we've got Nicole. They meet Captain Mishimango, uh, who lets them into the hull of the Nellie J. Banks, gives them another salad-based sandwich, um, blah, blah, blah. They're sleeping you in know, this. it is cheese, but yeah. it wasn't Gilead cheese. It was real cheese, mm. goat cheese with chives, a kind Melanie had liked. Mm. Remember her? Yeah. <laughs> she died a long time ago. Anyway, so they're sleeping in these sleeping bags. The tattoo is getting more and more uh, infected. And um, she uses God's name in vain, and it really bugs um, Agnes. Please do not use the name of God as a casual swear word. Bleep lorp. <laughs> she is such a Gilead bot 2000. It is cute to see like how she's trying to censor herself because she says God has totally effed up my life yeah. instead of the hard <laughs> F word. She's using the, the two form of the F word instead of the Osted F word. Um well, and, it's and then so she goes right back to it. Still, you know, even though we've had Agnes kind of talking about like, oh, we're going somewhere that Nicole is better equipped to handle than I am. But like she is older yeah. and she just has better coping skills. So she is still really, yeah, you know, able to be kind of ballast for her. We really don't see Nicole taking care of Agnes until they get into the inflatable yes. boat, which is about to happen. Which I is think. also insane considering like physically what's going on with Nicole. Totally. Yeah. This is from Agnes's perspective. This next chapter, they're worried the Coast Guard is going to come onto the ship and um, Nicole is getting sicker and sicker because her arm is uh, infected. And so they, she says a little prayer for her um, and for Becca. And I like, this is my favorite part, actually, of the whole book, mm. where Nicole says, do you think we'll ever see our mother? I have faith that we will. Do you think she'll like us? She will love us. I said to soothe her and we will love her. Just because people are related to you doesn't mean you mm. love them. She murmured, love is a discipline like prayer. Mm. And that line has legitimately like changed my life. Really? Oh, my God. It blew my mind. I just, it's really change the way I think about a lot of things. That's interesting. And it's been so great. And I love that she says, I'd like to pray for you so you'll feel better. Would you mind? And I just, I don't know. I love that because there are people who are like, I'm praying for you. I just always appreciate people who ask for consent yeah. before they pray for you. Yeah. And it's like, I don't really even know that prayer works. Yeah. But I like the idea of discipline. I, I like love is a, is a discipline. It's like something you have to work for it's not a passive thing well you practice like you have to yeah. practice love yeah and yeah just i've been like going through a lot of just like what do i yeah what do i want yeah and it's like oh it shouldn't be this like destabilizing thing yeah you know what i mean mm -hmm. like and i was like having this conversation with a friend of mine and he was just like oh my god like it's always just like you know my completely all-consuming and i can't think about anything else i'm like yeah i'm like what if it's not like that like yeah what if it doesn't have to be that way it doesn't yeah yeah and it's like okay i mean so that's about as far as i've gotten that's cool um, so i'm, I'm like uh, who knows what'll went. happen like no. two weeks from now 
crazed, lovesick woman found <laughs> off the coast of Aww. San Francisco. Aww. So she has to kind of wake Nicole up and they have to think of a new plan. Um, and the plan is they can't take them all the way to the harbor. They have to drop them off in the water in this sort of life, life raft mm-hmm. and they have to row to shore. Ooh, this makes me so anxious. Um, I, know, me too. I, I am not a seaworthy vessel. So despite the fact that Nicole is so ill, like she like, I think just gets kind of high on adrenaline and yeah. it's, she's just like, come at me, bro. And yeah. so they get in there and basically <laughs> uh, the the motor doesn't work. It cacks. It cacks. <laughs> Fucking hell. The motor just cacked. So they get out the oars and Agnes, you know, has probably never exerted herself in her entire <laughs> life. Yeah, that's a good point. And Nicole is just like, fucking, you know, do this. I love this. I can only use my good arm. The other one's like a puffball. And don't fucking ask me what a puffball is. <laughs> and then it's not my fault. I don't know such things. And I it's know. just like, it's such a sisterly argument. Um, despite not having a sister, I know this from TV. Yeah, I know this from TV as well. <laughs> and basically, you know... They're just desperate at this point. It's like, okay, are they going to make it? Or are they not going to make it? Now I was like, they're obviously going to make it. Like, it's the Red Butler argument. Like, why write this <laughs> if it's not going to be fine? Yeah. The Amanda Palmer song to listen to during this last part is Drowning in the Sound from her new album. And it's about sort of refugees and people stuck in water like this. And it's a really good thing to listen to during that chapter. Um, okay. Another Aunt Lydia chapter. Uh oh. Uh, she's really worried that Aunt Vidalia is going to wake up and blow the whole thing. Um, and Aunt Vidalia starts to. So they kind of talk about how people are still looking for Jade. I I do like here when she's talking about how well nicole did with her stupid fucking note she's mm-hmm. like the ability to concoct plausible lies as a talent not to be underestimated <laughs> which is even more poignant as we're reading this through this lens of like mm. we're pretty sure like 75 percent of this account is bullshit yeah or just like she's leaving out big chunks 75 percent of what's yeah, going on i agree on. yeah that's so interesting to think about like She's not writing about the afternoons when she's like, LOL, about to go cut Janine's eye out <laughs> again. It's um, also interesting that none of those people come up. It is kind she of She doesn't talk about any of the handmaids. She doesn't talk about the wives. Well, I think we're meant to believe either through her account or just into it that she's not in the day to day as much. She's kind of sitting in Ardua Hall yeah. managing everything, which you either believe because she's old and she's in a more managerial mm-hmm. space right now versus being in the field or she's just eliding yeah. those times when she's in the field. You can make your own your own sort of uh, belief about that. Uh, so Judd comes in. She has to kind of keep Judd at bay a little more. Um, time is running the fuck out, though. Yeah, and they did find Ugh. the Pearl Girl backpacks that they discarded in the orange peels, which Agnes had, like, when mm-hmm. Nicole was eating the orange, she was like, motherfucker, you are going to fuck this up. Yeah. And we are going to get caught because you are, like, eating oranges and, like, leaving shit places. Absolutely. Uh, then they find Becca's body in the cistern. Um, oh, so I guess it was blocking the outlet. Just like Elisa Lamb. Yeah. And so she's very cold about this. And she's like, don't think I'm not saddened by her loss, but I remind myself that it is a willing sacrifice. And it's like, yeah, she's, yeah. she's and she takes all of her. So this is, I think that like she is setting herself up to be a martyr because she takes off all her clothes except uh-huh. for her underwear. Yeah. 
and is just kind of freeballing it yeah. in there to die faster, yeah. I think. Well, it says that she saved her dress for somebody else because oh, she's so Becca. like frugal. And then she kept her undergarments on for modesty. Poor Becca. That's a series out for Becca. Um, (laughs) Uh, So they're kind of thinking like, well, maybe drive drive your bus straight into my cistern. (laughs) Maybe she was murdered. And the ants don't know. So now the ants are in a tizzy. Fucking they know these two pearl girls left, but one of them was supposed to be Becca. And now that we found Becca, how do we reconcile that? Nobody knows about this plumber that Jade supposedly ran off with. Uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. We're we're sh- in the shit right now. Yeah, and Commander Judd says that a uh, under the circumstances, a dead baby Nicole is much more useful to us than a living one. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting in terms of being a bit of a callback to the series in the way that baby Nicole is just this like uh-huh. political football and whatever is best for Canada, whatever is best for Gilead at any given moment she can do whatever so basically it's like it would be much worse for gilead in commander judd's opinion to have the narrative be oh we found baby nicole we got her back into gilead and then she fucking got out of gilead again uh yeah you know lose baby nicole once (laughs) shame on you lose baby nicole twice shame on gilead so this is a part i find so interesting so first of all, on the top of page 391, when talking to Judd, Aunt Lydia says, some in our country are unfortunately obsessed with vengeful payback. Like like you. Yeah. Like she's deliberately saying that. <laughs> um, and they she goes on to say, they do not believe that you have always acted for the best, especially in your winnowing operations. So it's her showing that like, I could blackmail you so easily. Yeah. I've got the goods. But she's also doing that thing where you look the person in the face and you don't see what you hate. You see yourself. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what's happening. And then this. When this end of this paragraph, she has a flashback to when she raises the gun and aims and shoots. Now, he's told her that my gift to you was I put a blank in your gun. Uh She doesn't, you know, believe it or not. And here she says... A bullet or no bullet? A bullet. Yeah. So the way that I interpret this is that this is like Aunt Lydia's biggest admission of guilt. And this is like the closest she gets to saying like, I did bad things here Mm -hmm. Uh, in this in this recounting because she's like, it was a bullet. And I think this means like whether it was a literal bullet or a blank, it started her on this path, this brutal, brutal path. Mm hmm. And so it it killed something in that it killed the old Aunt Lydia, mm-hmm. the, the pre-Gilead Aunt Lydia. So it doesn't matter. I think it's also saying, you know, she is complicit in those murders regardless of what was in her gun. Exactly. Because she chose, she knew the, she knew what the option was and she right. chose to shoot people. Right. As well, I think here, this is also her choosing definitively to take Judd down. Yeah. When she's saying a bullet or no bullet, do I spare you or not? She's not going to spare him. Yeah. Oof. So um, gorgeous. See, there's such good pearls. Huh? There's also, um, he makes a reference on 390, the long knives will come out. And I believe that's a reference to a World War II, like, Nazi thing. There was oh, the no. light of the long knives. Yikes. Um, which was, I believe, when Nazi leadership, like, took out a faction that they didn't like. Oh. I could be wrong. I did not check this. But it's something <laughs> that I know about. All right, so this next one is, uh-oh, Aunt Vitalia wakes up and is ready to read everyone to filth. Uh, <laughs> and 
Aunt Lydia keeps going like, oh, you don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're saying. And she's like, you will fucking hang for this, Lydia. Then this is, I love this. This is like the Aunt Lydia, damn, it feels good to be a gangster mm-hmm. moment. Because Aunt Elizabeth is walking in. Lydia goes to her. She's like, huh, it's so weird. She was accusing people of something. I think she might have been accusing you of colluding with Gilead. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Incidentally, I think her allergies are super bad. She's probably going to die of allergies. Yeah. Wink, wink. My entire face is an eyeball and I'm winking at you. Oh, it's so gorgeous. And again, we see Aunt Lydia as a reflection of Commander Judd, who was like, oh, it'd be so terrible if mm-hmm. Shunamite like, had a horrible disease. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I got you. I got you. And Cam. here, I mean, Aunt Elizabeth is slightly less, uh, you know, it's not as on the level. Like Aunt Elizabeth's not going to be like, oh, allergies. For some reason, I'm seeing Aunt Elizabeth as like Kronk in the Emperor's <laughs> New Crew. Right. Right. I do love this line. It's like, I will, I will leave Aunt Vidalia in your nurturing hands. I noticed that her pillow needs rearranging. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, rearranging over her mouth. It's so interesting because in these moments with Aunt Lydia, she sounds, again, a lot like Adam 1 in You're the Flood because mm-hmm. Adam 1 is always very subtly manipulating people into doing what he wants them to do. Mm-hmm. Usually with less murder, but not always. Mm-hmm. But I just, I always love his sermons that are like, oh, it's so great that you made this like totally shitty thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. <laughs> really like that book. All right. Coming home to roost, chapter 69. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so they're in this inflatable, coming closer and closer to the shore, maybe, or farther into Gilead. They don't really yeah, know. Yeah, well, and I mean, you know, it's not like they have a compass. It's not like either <laughs> of them is an experienced seaman. Seaman. <laughs> uh, they keep going. They keep going. They made it to the shore. I hope it's the right shore. <laughs> no, I know, man. It's nuts. Next, oh. we get to 369B, which is Nicole. Um, I love this. It was really close. We almost kicked the bucket. Um, (laughs) Gosh, I love this part. They get to the shore. Gosh. And she says, I'm so proud of Agnes after that night. She really was my sister. She kept on going, even though she was at the end. So great. And then they get there. I didn't know where we were going, but as long as we went uphill, it would be away from the waves. I was almost asleep. I was so tired. I was thinking I've made it this far, and now I'm going to lose it and fall and brain myself. I like how she's young, but her slang <laughs> is from like 1950. Yeah. Uh, Becca said, it's not much farther. I couldn't remember her being in the inflatable, but she was beside us on the beach. I mm. couldn't see her because it was too dark. Then she said, look up there, follow the lights. Mm. I love so much Becca being this like spirit guide to get yeah. them out and you know i just it doesn't matter to me if she's a ghost or if she is yeah a manifestation it's just like without becca they wouldn't have made it yeah oh it's it's so good i love it and then they kind of get into this refuge they get found by garth yeah (laughs) of course the tv cameras and so they're kind of recovering in this hospital uh, very funny, the double entendre of Agnes wearing the run for our life, help fight lizard, liver cancer mm-hmm. shirt. <laughs> Get it? That's also a very Oryx and Craig thing. Yes. Glenn is always wearing like stupid fucking yes. t-shirts with things <laughs> on them. So they are 
you know, in this hospital. And, and they then, got they got the document cash. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Nicole is improving. And then comes the thing that pretty much makes this whole book worth it. Yeah. Um, she wakes up and finds out. Shh, said my sister. It's all right. Our mother is here. She's been so worried about you. Look, she's right beside you. Oh, man. And she says she smelled right. It was like an echo of a voice you can't quite hear. She talked about how Melanie never smelled like her mother. She smelled Mm -hmm. like the soap you use in a hotel. Um, Yeah. And I just love this so much. And I... I cheered and I yelled and I cried. I was excited. About I this too. lost my shit completely. Like it's so well done because she doesn't name her. Yeah, it's left ambiguous. Yeah, she exactly. looked almost like the picture in the Bloodlines file, only older. I think that's something to think about in the show. It's like no matter where the show ends, this is what Maggie Atz thinks happened. Yeah, to Alfred? Question mark. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. <laughs> It's Alfred. <laughs> what? It's All right. definitely Alfred. I feel like that's going to be like her last words on her deathbed. <laughs> her name was June the whole time. <laughs> Get it? Get it? My pillow needs rearranging. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, she asking us to kill her? Well, she's dead. Get it? All right. The last chapter before the historical notes. One pager. It is called Send Off. Get it? All right, so... No, I don't. Explain it to me. Okay, so... All righty, so she's... uh, Aunt Lydia's sort of sending off this manuscript by hiding it and sending herself off of this mortal coil. Um, This is funny that she imagines the person who is reading it. And uh, I'll just read. This is Bear's reading. I picture you as a young woman, bright, ambitious. You'll be looking to make a niche for yourself in whatever dim, echoing caverns of academia may still exist in your time. I situate you at your desk, your hair tucked behind your ears, your nail polish chipped, for nail polish will have returned. It always does. Lol. That's why they have Aunt Sally Hansen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Aunt L.A. Colors made a comeback. (laughs) Aunt Essie. (laughs) Etsy is such a good name. This doesn't get old. Turns out my superpower is aunt names. Yeah. Um, Putting on my special skills on my resume. So it's interesting. And she kind of, I think Maggie Yatz on purpose turns the book around to us at this point and is like, you're... um, How can I have behaved so badly, so cruelly, so stupidly, you would ask? You yourself would never have done such things. You yourself will never have to. And this is, I think, Maggie Yatz... Like pointing a finger at all of these fucking discussion groups and at, <laughs> and at us and at everyone being like, how very dare you say that Alfred's stupid or Aunt Lydia's mean or whatever, or like you wouldn't have done any of this. You don't know what you would have done, you jerks. But neither does she. Neither does she. I know. But I definitely think this is pointed of her. And I think this is a good case for like, she's not writing anymore on this subject. She gave you jerks what you were asking for fucking take it and be happy i mean except i didn't ask for this i know i'm saying the royal jerk honey okay (laughs) (laughs) you know prince andrew hey oh so this is she kind of talks about they're literally coming closer and closer and closer um she's talking about she has to kill herself because she can't stand up to torture this is a great line pillar in year of the flood that's right. Uh, this is. The- I like how this wound up being like a very like yeah. light. Like this is what happened in Year of the Flood. Yeah. Sorry to Year of the Flood spoil you. Uh, it's been out for like over a decade. 
I like this line. Torture is like dancing. I'm too old for it. Yep. Ooh, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. I also like the line, the dead are hard to astonish. Mm. So great. It's so good. And so, oh, fuck. Hmm. I forget who said this. I think it was Agnes. I remain deeply grateful that I have never learned to knit. No, it's Aunt same. Lydia. It's Aunt same Lydia. Aunt Lydia. Oh my God. I see these people <laughs> knitting and I'm like, why? Why are you doing this to yourself and me? Uh, and so she, now this is another, I think, nod to her not telling the whole truth. Uh-huh. Is she goes, such excellent embroiderers women are. And it's a reference to Mary, Queen of Scots, mm-hmm. who is a very controversial figure mm. in history, which is like, uh... So, like, should we be on your side? Or, like, Queen Elizabeth? They're like, what's the deal? Perfect. I mean, all I know is that Emmeline Harris was great as Mary, Queen of Scots, at the King's College production that Anne of uh, Green Gables directed. Thanks. That was a what? long way to go for an Anne of Green Gables, the sequel group. Truly. <laughs> all right. So we end with the footsteps outside of Aunt Lydia's door. She takes the morphine. And that's a series out for Aunt Lydia. Mm-hmm. Now best that way if i allowed myself to live i would disgorge too much truth yep that comes right and before. the truth can be deeply troubling for those who should not know it is what she's saying and again what we've seen her strategy is always putting herself ahead of the pack so One it's jump not ahead of the gilead <laughs> i had to it's fine um so it's not that she's concerned she has put all the truth that she feels is fit to print (laughs) in that cache of documents right anything else that she might have to say is going to implicate herself right so she's got to go yeah she is now the greatest liability to herself that's a great way to put that all right oh boy welcome ladies and gentlemen to the 13th Ah, the self-care horn. Ah, the self-care horn. So here we are in the year 2197. Taking place in June. Uh, in Passamasquatty, Maine. <laughs> <laughs> we get, uh, this is our good friend, Professor James Darcy Piotto. Um, somebody said that in the audio book, it pronounced Pioxo. The X is hard, but okay. I'm just going to say it the way I want to say okay, it. Okay, cool. Uh, and then we're introduced again to Marianne Crescent Moon, who keeps having to introduce this guy. <laughs> yeah, but he does <laughs> oh, uh, apologize. So wait, wait, wait let's, let's go slow. Let's go slow. Okay. Um, because I really like this line. So Crescent Moon introduced Piotto in the original historical notes from the, they mention it, the 10th Symposium, which takes place at the end of The Handmaid's Tale. And uh, I love this. Uh, they say they're, they're, this Passamaquoddy uh, is a p- jumping off point for the Underground Railroad as well. And she has this line that I think is gorgeous. As they say, history does not repeat itself but it rhymes. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. That's some good shit. And speaking of which, I do ask you not to get carried away, as happened at the 10th Oof. Symposium. So we have separate thoughts about this. Go ahead. Oh, I oh, just... Oh, so, so, so um, she's referring to the period costume reenactment day, which we poked a lot of fun at when we first read yes. the historical notes because we're like, LOL, they're cosplaying Gilead. Yeah. How, how strange that, you know, just... 
you know, a century or so ago, this was dire and people were, were getting hurt and killed. And now we're like cosplaying it. Funsies. Go ahead. Um, I think that the people who were dressing up as like commanders and guardians and ants and stuff were like sexually assaulting women. Yeah. Um, is I, what I think. I feel like they, I don't know. I don't want to give these people any credit because they are really flippant about bad stuff um if yeah i also think that this is like and gosh i hope i have this this right but the stanford prison experiment Mm -hmm. where they had people dress up as guards and prisoners and things went to hell in a Mm -hmm. handbasket really fast so i think just putting on these uniforms and aunt lydia makes this point too with like that's why we're giving people uniforms is because it makes you feel a certain way to be segregated like Mm -hmm. that so i definitely agree with you all right so now we know we fill in Professor Piotto's career a little bit more. I think in the previous iteration, he had just written a book and he was a teacher. And now he has this whole television series called Inside Gilead, Daily Life in Puritan Theocracy. And he starts talking. Now, in my margin, I wrote, dude, <laughs> fucking exhaust me. So we get we all congratulate you on your promotion, a thing that never would have happened in Gilead. <laughs> applause <laughs> i hate it oh my uh, God. he's the worst and the best um so we talk about in the historical notes of the handmaid's tale he makes we're enjoying this arctic char but we also enjoyed this arctic chair referring to marion crescent mm-hmm. moon and it's like a sex joke yeah and we argued a lot at the beginning that i wasn't sure that it was a sex joke and this comes down hard that it was a sex yeah. joke so I have grown as a person. You were right. (laughs) Uh, Margaret Atwood and I assume are best friends now. (laughs) So, yeah. So they make a they make a uh, note to his chair char joke. And I love modified applause. It's so funny to me. Um, I also think who would have thought that Gilead studies neglected for so many decades would suddenly have gained so greatly in popularity. And I'm so curious as to why. Like, it doesn't really... I mean, I guess it's because of, like, The Handmaid's Tale, but yeah. it's also, like, why why this sudden mania for a particular period of time? And I know that this happens. Right. Like, certain time periods come in and out of fashion in academia. So I think, th- I think that their society looks at The Handmaid's Tale as sort of... The Handmaid's Tale, the literal finding the documents in the footlocker Mm -hmm. as sort of the Rosetta Stone to figuring out what Gilead was like. Because if you remember, they talk about in the purges, all of these documents get destroyed. Mm -hmm. They waited too long to ask the people who were survivors and Mm -hmm. the people who were survivors were maybe not out about being survivors. Or they didn't want to talk about it. Exactly. So I think that it was kind of like a niche thing of study until The Handmaid's Tale is found. And then it opens up this way of this key to understanding things that nobody ever had. So it made that information more disseminated. Mm -hmm. And then with this coming, you know, if The Handmaid's Tale is a 10th symposium, this is the 13th, I guess, you know, three years later or so, these other big primary sources, you can color in more and more and more. So it's, there's more fervor because there's more information. Okay. Um, that's my reading of it. So, um, yeah, 
they talk about how you need to approach um, they also refer the digital black hole of the 21st (laughs) century that caused so much information to vanish due to the rapid decay rate of stored data um, which is something I think about a lot. So yeah. back up your files. Yeah, back but up even your- if we back up our files, if our ability to read our files uh, gets yeah. destroyed, we're fucked. Print your pictures, babes. Print your pictures. Print your pictures. Do what Lauren Oye Olamina does in Parable of the Sower and Parable <laughs> of the Talents. Transfer all of your handwritten journals to digital, uh, multiple copies, print them out, hide them places. Put them in a Apologia <laughs> book. <laughs> Dear Real Diary. <laughs> So they found all these things separately. They found the Arjua Hall holograph inside of, obviously, the book that she hid it in. And it was owned by this person whose nephew sold it and found the letters inside. I love Jay Grimsby Dodge. <laughs> oh, Jay Grimsby Dodge. I'll tell you a tale of Cardinal Newman. <laughs> <laughs> then they're really... What I think is interesting is we as readers of this book are somewhat omniscient and like we know that this is who they refer to Uh but this is such a good shading in of like if you have to have scholarly doubt when dealing with primary sources Mm -hmm. and i think that's maggie atz's way of telling us like read the aunt lydia chapters with a little bit of doubt read all of this with a little bit of doubt because when you tell your own story you can only tell so much but also just i mean any source right that's the point of the rigor of academia Mm -hmm. is to not make any kind of assumption right. or declaration mm-hmm. until you're absolutely certain. Yep. So, yeah, and they find the other people's um, tes- testimonies in other places, and they're trying to reconcile this with what they know from The Handmaid's Tale. It's interesting. They talk about they found a framed photograph with Aunt Lydia handwritten on the back, mm-hmm. unearthed from the rubble of a girls' school bombed during the collapse of Gilead. So... My assumption is that eventually somebody took on the nuclear threat. Yeah. they. You know, this book doesn't talk at all about the colonies. I know. And it doesn't talk at all about just the fucking wasteland. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. Though you can't do everything. Because the people in Canada would surely have some opinions about that. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Mm. Okay. Great. All right. Um, um, add it to the list. <laughs> now... What if our manuscript were devised as a trap meant to frame its object like the casket letters used to bring about the death of Mary, Queen of Scots? Mm -hmm. Could it be that one of Aunt Lydia's suspected enemies, as detailed in the holograph itself, Aunt Elizabeth, for example, or Aunt Vidala, resentful of Aunt Lydia's power, craving her position and familiar with both her handwriting and her verbal style, set out to compose this incriminating document, hoping to have it discovered by the eyes? Mm -hmm. So there is another possible right. wrinkle yeah um might also be why it doesn't go into detail mm. about some of her other crimes mm-hmm. because how would they know like yeah. i feel like a lot of what is in here can't really be corroborated yeah Oof. um they talk about uh how it seems weird that they let these two girls do this Mission, and then he says, uh, as the young are, some historians have argued that persons of this age are especially suitable for such escapades, as the young are idealistic, have an underdeveloped sense of their own mortality, and are afflicted with exaggerated thirst for justice. I love it. Does this make you think about the climate strike at all? Yes. Yeah. 100%. No, and I'm like, yes, absolutely, because I'm so tired. Go get them, babies. Go get them. (laughs) But I'll purge, which is something that we know from the previous historical notes happens 
I assume shortly after the events of this book where they are winnowing out the high ranks of Gilead. Well, I think this is a different purge. Oh, this is a late mixed. period purge. Oh, okay. I don't LPP. know why if it's Baal, like from the Old Testament Baal, mm. like the false god. Um, mm. But I don't know that those other purges necessarily had names. Mm-hmm. I think it was like the first purge, the second purge. I think this is one of the final ones. Oh, okay. Um, resulted in a campaign of sabotage and a series of successful attacks. Yeah, but that is another story, one that is still being pieced together by military historians. So, yeah, there's there's a long way to go from the end of the testimony and also the Ardua Hall holograph. Mm-hmm. But my understanding of the way this is presented both in Aunt Lydia's account and here, like, this was like the tipping point to end Gilead. Right. So this purge, this purge was different from the other purges that came before it Mm -hmm. in that it had a much more profound effect on national security. Yeah. And so then they talk about how they found Nicole and Agnes's testimonies in the annals of the Nellie J. Banks Two Adventurers, which is kind of what they called their their memoir, I yeah. guess. Well, no, it's um, it's just a file. Like, oh. it's testimony uh, recorded and transcribed most likely for the use of the Mayday Resistance Movement. Oh, okay. I think they gave it such a random title to kind of keep it off the radar to a mm-hmm. degree. Um, yeah, and then it's interesting that he's talking about it, uh, but the person who discovered it was a woman. Now, do you know the story behind this person? Uh, yes. Mia Smith? Yes. She won a contest. To have, it always does this. I and love I think this. it's so weird. It's so cool. I love it. So Mia Smith is a real person who won a contest to be featured in this book. Uh, she won it. She It was an auction, and she gave to the charity Freedom from Torture. So good job, Mia Smith. That's a really cool thing. Um, that's how the name Amanda Payne comes to be in Year right. of the Flood. And then also, um, I think, um, Rebecca, the cook. Yeah. Um, that Toby meets at Secret Burgers. That was another contest winner. So fun. Um, and I know there's another one in uh, Mad Adam, but I haven't read that book as much. Oh, I would die. I would be so happy. I think it's goofy. I love it. <laughs> um, Make up your own names, Margaret Atwood. <laughs> Well, I would be like, yes, you can put my name in there, but it's Anastasia Butthaver. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, you have to put it in. Anastasia Butthaver is my name. So you're right. It is funny that this man is reading this woman's like historical findings. They talk about how, geez, I wish they would have put some dates on these things. Mm -hmm. It is hard for those deprived of literacy to leave such records. I think about that all the time because yeah. we don't know very much about like menstruation and how women have yeah. dealt with it over the years because just like nobody cared. Yeah. And like women didn't have the resources or think that it would like, matter mm-hmm. that a weirdo named Kelly just wants to know how <laughs> did you handle it? I want to know so bad. So then. Oh, okay. So they carved their names into this windowsill an n for nicole an a and a g for ada or garth or a for agnes v for victoria we don't know a l aunt lydia who knows um so we don't know what happened to them blah 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 we can't definitively prove they're related to the handmaid's tale tapes which we kind of know they are and um He talks about how historians are kind of storytellers because they're piecing together these disparate things to make history. 
Which I guess is supposed to make like the fact that it's not a single person narrative right. seem more resonant, but as discussed, <laughs> we're against it. So there's a statue in Boston Commons, and it is a statue of the. It's a statue of one of the Pearl Girls. Right. She's carrying a bouquet of small flowers identified by our ethnobotanist consultant as Forget Me Nots. On her right shoulder, there are two birds belonging, it would seem, to the pigeon or dove family. Here is the description. The lettering is weathered and difficult to read on the slide, so I took the liberty of transcribing it on the following slide here. And on this last note, I will close. So it says, in loving memory of Becca and Immortel, this memorial was erected by her sisters, Agnes and Nicole, and their mother, their two fathers, their children, and their grandchildren. God damn it. And in recognition of the invaluable services provided by AL, a bird of the air shall carry the voice and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Love is as strong as death. Beautiful. That's beautiful. And it's so interesting, like with this, what to me is like, how else could you read that? That feels like that corroborates all of this. They still have to have this academic doubt. So, and that's the end of the Testament. That's the end of the Testament. Beautiful. I love in the acknowledgments that Mm -hmm. Margaret Atwood knows someone named Oberon Zell Ravenheart. I know. Um, I love that. It's so great. You know, and and she thanks all of the actors. I wish, honestly, that she (gasps) thanked all the writers by name and she doesn't thank ot though which is a notable omission oh my gosh oh you know what i didn't read uh that part of it i wonder if that was an accident or maybe they had a fight i think it is an accident uh, <laughs> she says elizabeth well she doesn't say like madeline brewer or whatever yeah, either. yeah. but she thanks everybody of the main well, cast but not OT. amanda brigal who is canadian and it would have been really awful had she been left out this um, is my favorite part of the acknowledgments is she goes one question about the handmaid's tale that came up repeatedly is how did gilead fall the testaments was written in response to this question totalitarianisms may crumble from within as they fail to keep the promises that brought them to power or they may be attacked from without or both there's no surefire formulas since very little in history is inevitable so i think this is her saying to the people too who are like i'm very scared that we're descending into gilead Mm -hmm. right now and she's like Nothing is certain. Yeah. And nothing is permanent either. So No, and I mean, I think that's the point of the symposiums. Yeah, I agree. Is to be like, hey, you know, uh, you think it's bad now. Wait five minutes. Yeah. And just that we will never, ever have that kind of remove from our own lives. Like we'll never, ever be a hundred years from. I mean, maybe we are. I don't know what happens when we (laughs) die. Hopefully we get to be ghosts who help people escape from stuff. Ah, yes. Um, But it's like we're never going to be in these bodies with these minds in this place able to look back on this moment Mm -hmm. and say, oh, yeah, that's real symbolic. Yeah. (laughs) Or I know what happened. Yeah, 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 Um, yeah. I can I can place my life within the larger historical context of history as it was happening to me. Yeah. Uh, We can't do it. So it's not possible. Like you can sometimes be struck, I think, with awe and wonder at where you are and what's happening. And this breadth of your experiences. But that we led can't you here. try as we might try as Aunt Lydia might. We can't actually tell our own stories. Yeah. Because we are perhaps actively ignoring yeah. or unable to grapple with things yeah. that are happening. And I think there may be something to the fact that it's so thin like Nicole and Agnes's understanding of everything yeah. is just like, yeah, 
we don't know. Like, we don't really understand how we're supposed to explain to you what happened to us. Yeah. So anyway, um, Margaret Atwood wrote a book that won't be unveiled for a hundred years because it's yeah. like in a fucking tree. And I'm pissed. That's true. I'm what pissed I, that I don't get to read it. I know, but it's so beautiful because I think she thinks so much about this legacy. She does. And I it comes, I think, from the way that she was raised mm-hmm. with her scientist parents just kind yeah. of taking her everywhere and instilling in her this understanding about how huge and powerful nature is and how it encroaches on everything. Yeah. I mean, it encroached on this story. Yeah. You know, nobody knew where all of this information was. Yeah. And it just kind of hung out. It easily could have been wiped out. Totally. There could be no Piotto. <laughs> Imagine no <laughs> Piotto. Yeah. I think it's, a, it's I, easy I, if you're Professor Crescent <laughs> Moon. I agree with people that say it wrapped up in a satisfying way because I love the symposium. I love the sort of what she comes to. I I liked that. And I wasn't sorry for getting to just sort of like marinate in Margaret Atwood yeah. for a couple days more. Me neither. Um, I mean, there's still plenty of her work that I haven't read. Me too. Maybe I'll pick up a poem. <laughs> Maybe I will. I don't know. It was worth it to me for the love as a discipline like prayer. It was worth it for the reuniting of Nicole, Agnes, and Alfred. <laughs> um, and, and to get that inscription on the statue. Yeah. Of like, hey, you know, all shall be well, all shall be well, yeah. um, and all manner of things shall be well. Yeah. And that, I think, is what Margaret Atwood is trying to tell us as yeah. she, you know, is kind of embarking on her own exit from this world oh gosh i know and it becomes so bittersweet and i love her in interviews well she's like well everybody knows you know they're all like you're gonna die and i'm like wouldn't be so funny if she lived to be like a fucking 115 years old she (laughs) might i don't know i mean i think it depends on whether or not she finds life fulfilling without her husband yeah because you know it just might not be yeah, and that's, I mean, I think you know she's got a lot of other things going on in her life, right? But maybe that's, maybe you, she's done, you know? Yeah, well, that's not for us to speculate on necessarily, but I do. I will be sad when we lose Margaret Atwood because yeah. I think she's been made a. Huge but I impact. also think she's made a life out of confounding expectations. So, <laughs> that's gorgeous. You know, I'm just I'm not. I don't worry about her. I don't worry about. I her think either. she's very happy with her life and the work that she's done. Well. On that note, and kind of talking about endings, um, we got to tell you kids something. Uh, This may very well be our last episode of the podcast. Yeah. So this was not a decision that we came to lightly. I basically am so tired of editing podcasts. I have been recording (laughs) and editing podcasts since 2012. I started doing podcasts as a way to supplement my stand-up and mm-hmm. it's kind of replaced my stand-up mm-hmm. and I want to get back into live performance. Yeah. Um, so that's at least on my end, like yeah. there's a very practical thing, but then also there's an artistic thing, which yeah. is that we just don't think the show is that great anymore. Yeah. And it has its moments, but you know, it's just like dedicating hours and hours every week, even when the show's not on. Um, right to this show and i've i've done podcasts where we kept going <laughs> right beyond the point where the show was any good <laughs> and it's miserable for us yeah it's miserable for our listeners i think that i will like the show m- more without the need to comment that's the it. other thing is like when when can i just enjoy a thing yeah, um so but, i've been experimenting a lot with like can i just enjoy stuff without needing to create more content yeah Jury's still out. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I uh, 
I, you know, we have loved that you've been our community for this long. Thank you so much. For me, this was like the first time I was on a podcast that was like very successful. And it's because of all of you. Thank you for everything that people wrote negatively about us are the things that the people who love us loved the most and the things that we loved making the most. So thank you for listening to our singing. Thank you for being so generous in Venmo and for generous with your time and for truly creating like a super beautiful, friendly community online. Yeah. I mean, I work at Pinterest and like Pinterest talks all the time about like, we're like the last positive corner of the Mm. internet. I'm like, no, it's my podcast. Yeah. My podcast is the last positive corner of the internet. So I'm so grateful for your listenership. Keep following us on Twitter. We're going to be doing cool other projects. We have so many things going on. It's not, you know, it's not goodbye. It's smell you later. Yeah. Um, Um, I'm starting a Patreon for me. Nice. um, This fall. I'm doing my one person show is coming back. Um, I sing. I do all kinds of crazy ass things. I tell jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do tricks with my fellow candlesticks. I knew you were going to say it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, Molly is kicking ass at killing my lobster, mm-hmm. doing sketch writing and teaching. And I don't know. What else are you doing? I'm working with Nice Tan. Yes. Some of you help contribute to our pilot. We're going to be shooting our pilot. But I'm working with that. I'm moving to LA to pursue comedy. Like I'm trying. So keep your eye on us. We're going to be doing yeah, things and we need stuff, your support. And we're going to be doing stuff together. Yeah. I think that's the other thing is we're ending the podcast on a high note so that we still love each yeah. other and we are like doors open to collaborate in the future. And I'll say, you know, you t- we posted that meme a while ago about like pretending people on podcasts are your friends. And that's how I met Kelly as I heard her on a podcast and I wish desperately that she would be my friend. And it's such a lovely thing that that came true. Yeah. And, and I have so many friends who are like, I text, uh, <laughs> you know, about life and I talk to on the phone and I go visit because of podcasting. Yeah. So like, don't, you know, never feel like loving podcast hosts is wrong. Well, never I was trying feel to like considering us your friends is wrong. Right. Well, I was trying to say specifically, I'm grateful for to have deepened my relationship with you. Oh, were you complimenting yeah, me and yeah, I missed asshole. it? I really Never have mind. grown as a person. <laughs> Take it back. I just steamrolled that whole you thing. Did. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you punk. I thought, we were, I thought we were assuaging the sad redheads. I had already gotten done talking to the kids. They have already paused the podcast and are sending us things in all caps. No, I'm talking to you right now across from me. Okay. I'm talking to you who are like editing this right now. Thanks. You had to edit a beast of a billion episodes for this uh, one afternoon we spent. But I love you. And I think that working with you is so great. I think we fill in each other's gaps really well. I love that bonkers road trip we took where we scream sang the whole time. We've done so many. We've done so many cool things with this podcast. We Uh, got to talk to Bruce. Of all people, like it's insane, yeah. and like also, I want to shout out all of the writers and yes, everybody. We love you so much, everybody who's worked on the show. Like, I mean, and I kind of like I know that they enjoy listening to our reactions. So yeah. I, I in a certain sense, I feel bad that like we're depriving them of that. Hey, you don't have to. You could hire me to be in the writers. Yeah, room. that's true. Actually, please fucking hire Molly Hollywood Any, in general. Anybody hire me? Yeah, please. Um, um, but yeah, so but, thank you. Know, you. But thank you all so much for for engaging with us. And yeah. you know, I will say part of it too is like, you know, I still think that our criticisms of the show are valid. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't know if it's that like I'm like doing the artist way or if it was talking to Bruce, but it's just like it's so hard yeah, to make it's anything. It's hard to make anything. It's hard to make anything. <laughs> it's hard to make this podcast, yeah. you know? And it's just like 
I want to make my own stuff yeah. and not spend all my time yeah. talking about other people's stuff. Like, it's still something I enjoy. I might write that blog post about the Bene Gesserit and the ants. You don't know. <laughs> I might do it. Because I, I knew you, I have been changed for good. I <laughs> gotcha, bitch. <laughs> that made her cry. <laughs> no, and I haven't had a chance to compliment you. Like, I am just so awed by your constant positivity. I don't know how you do it, Um, you know, and you have made me a kinder and more considerate person. You know, you're so funny and you're so smart and you're such a good writer. Thanks. Again, hire her. Hire me, please. Hire Molly. Um, Can we do it in like an AS? Is it ASMR? ASMR. Okay. Uh, Hire Molly. Hire Molly. A writer job. She's a writer. Well, thanks. That's so nice. Yeah, but I just I'm excited because it feels like we're opening a door to a lot of other cool opportunities and, you know, enjoying media again. Yeah. For me, who have spent (laughs) almost eight years in the podcasting salt mines. I think the thing that I want you all to take with you is take care of yourself. Take care of your girlfriends. And Nolite te bastardes carborundorum. Because I knew you. Because I knew you. Because I knew you. Dum, 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 dum. Dum, dum. Good night, redheads. We love you. Now we're going to cry forever. <laughs> <laughs>